The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Marcus? Yes, dear. <laughs> <laughs> How can we never start one, two, three, four? <laughs> Every time we start the podcast, because we never know how to start. We never know how to start. We never know. It's one. It's it is the most difficult part of the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to just start it? Like, because I am a drummer after all. Uh. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That's true. But you're. You, well. You always do the lead, and you always say, "Hey, welcome to the." You know. Yeah. 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 All right. Okay. So can I do it? Do it. Go ahead. Okay. All right. Ready. <clears throat> One, two, three, four. Welcome to No Dogs in Space, everybody. <laughs> I'm Marcus Parks. Oh, God, we lost the, the timing. <laughs> We're totally offbeat. Well, we'll rehearse it off the air, and then we'll do better next week. Oh. We promise. Okay. One thing I did learn from reading the slits, by the way, is that one, two, three, four, you're supposed to actually, like, that's your setting the time of the song. Yeah, it's timekeeping, yeah. I thought it was just because it sounds cool. <laughs> No, it's like when I go one, two, three, four, one, two, two, like that's the d- tempo of the song. Yeah, but what? <laughs> but the Ramones were doing it. Just... I guess we can make whatever rolls we want. Okay. So when we last left the Slits, they had just joined forces with Don Letts and were well on their way to establishing themselves as an essential piece of the early British punk rock scene. But it wouldn't be until May of 1977 that the Slits would finally explode onto the nationwide scene when they joined the Clash, Subway Sect, the Buzzcocks, and briefly the Jam in the Fall on the White Riot Tour, sounding a hell of a lot like this early live recording. Quickly, 
raw, but it's fucking great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can see what they're doing there. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, and you can see why they deserved a spot on that fucking tour. Oh, yeah, the White Riot Tour. Yeah. <laughs> it was so funny how they had to explain a lot. It's like, no, it's uh, we're, we're it's not because, <laughs> God, shit. Let's just... Okay, let me back. Okay, let me start over again. <laughs> <laughs> so the Slits, they started their tour at Ed- Edinburgh Playhouse, right? And they started playing, of course, Vindictive. That's when they, that's how they came in. Yeah. To but... play their very first, I mean, it was Viv's first time on stage. Wow. Yeah, it was like one of their first shows and but of course they all played at different speeds <laughs> uh, they didn't learn about the one two three four yet <laughs> yeah i mean that that recording that, that's after the white riot tour yeah. they sounded a lot like that <laughs> <laughs> and well, the thing is like since it was a big tour like the stage was so big to them Viv couldn't hear what Tessa was doing. No one could hear what anyone else was doing. So they kind of just played the song separately. They haven't learned how to play together yet. Right. Which is an essential part of being in a band. Yes. So obviously (laughs) when they go up and there's their first big show, there's tons of people out there. They couldn't even finish at the same time. Actually, Paul Molive, you know, she was still drumming when everyone already finished. And she's like drumming and the other girls are just glaring at her. (laughs) And she looks up and she's like, just kind of like, oh, we're done now. And just hits the tom-tom a couple more times and just stops. I've been that drummer. (laughs) I feel that. And of course, like all the shows back then, they got gobbed on a lot, which meant they got spit on. Like with loogies and stuff. Uh, That was just a way to show their appreciation or that they hate you. Yeah, there was no... You didn't know. I guess if they smiled while they were gobbing on you, (laughs) then you're like, okay, we're doing good. (laughs) But yeah, that was the British punks thing. We talked about in the damn series. Yeah, like, and they were just covered in it and like in in their instruments. Uh. Like, yeah, like as Ari's trying to sing, like and screaming and, you know, running around, like... Bit flies in her mouth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, oh, and also one ha- thing happened when some dude in the front row tried to pull Ari off the stage. Yeah. So all the other girls like ran over to help her and Palm Olive like starts shoving and punching the guy. Viv hits him with her guitar. <laughs> <laughs> but the bouncers eventually got the guy out. They started playing again. And then when they were done, they walked off the set and that was like, wow, we did it. Yeah. We made it. Show. We did it. We, we did a show. <laughs> I mean, it lasted 15 minutes, <laughs> but that was well, kind of like what a lot of their shows were like, especially back then. Yeah, in the early days. I mean, but that's the thing about the the slits is that you know I've been listening to a lot of live recordings uh, that were put out on like very small runs, and a lot of this stuff is on YouTube, like live recordings of early B- British punk bands that weren't. The Clash and The Damned. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, including like the Sex Pistols, like very few of these bands were musically talented. Like when you hear the guys talking about like The Clash, like in the Ramones being like, yeah, man, like nobody knew how to play back then. But then when you listen to them, when you listen to the records, you're like, holy shit, no, that sounds great. That's actually very difficult to play. They're talking about all the rest of the bands. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're talking about like... Everybody else who couldn't play, and that's the thing is, a lot of those bands, uh, they fizzled out. They didn't, they didn't stick to it. But the Slits stuck to it. Yes, they kept going, and they got really fucking good. Yes, yes, they did eventually. I mean, right now, it doesn't really matter. It's low stakes. They're having fun. I mean, they are on a big tour. Yeah, but they're still having fun, except for when they were uh, having problems at the hotels. Yes, that wouldn't let them stay there. 
like the time like Tessa walked in with her guitar case uh, and her guitar case on top uh, like it said the slits real big on and she's like walking into the lobby and the hotel they're like no way you're staying here. <laughs> everything about this <laughs> is offensive <laughs> well see more like the restaurant manager in Ferris Bueller's day off it's like I weep for the future because remember like they're wearing all kinds of crazy outfits like yeah, yeah. whatever they feel like wearing and their hair is all like teased up and, and, and just tiny little skirts if they want to everything's all cut up and it just looks cool though it looks cool but it's it is like remember what we said last episode like 50 years before women were getting arrested for wearing pants like that this was <laughs> yes. this was an absolutely uh different thing than anybody was used to and you know on these english tours like it's not like you know tour in america where you're playing you know new york boston philadelphia like they're doing sheffield bradford Leads like they're doing <laughs> like they're doing small like they're doing like a lot of small cities like there's a England's not that big of a place and if you want to do a tour you got to play a lot of fucking places so they're doing very very small cities and so they're in rural England and I've actually I've driven through rural England it's still very rural <laughs> <laughs> like these days it's still very rural I can only imagine how people responded to it in 1977 I know I mean they were always just kind of like I guess you guys could stay here but only if you go straight to your rooms and go to bed and then leave in the morning yeah and none of the guys had any of those restrictions no but then again the girls also like to have a lot of fun though like they would run down the hallways banging on the doors pissing in people's shoes that were left in the hallway <laughs> playing their music too loud rat scabies set a room on fire <laughs> <laughs> and all he got was a bill <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit bit of a double standard here, you know? <laughs> like, because that's what people always talk about. It's like, oh, man, the slits were so crazy. It's like, what do they do? It's like, they peed in someone's shoes once. <laughs> like, like, all right. Oh, okay. They sound like fun, they sound like fun girls in, like, a, a college dorm. Like, it, they don't sound borderline psychotic like the damned, you know? <laughs> but then there was also Norman. The bus driver. Ah, uh, Norman. Yes, he was the bus driver who drove the tour bus, and he hated them on sight. <laughs> and it was mostly because of Ari, really. Like, she was running around in the bus, being loud and obnoxious, you know, being 15. Yeah, well, she's at 16 at this point, but, you know, That's there's not a whole lot of difference. But no difference. Yeah, but she's still, like, a wild teenage girl who has not seen an ounce of discipline in her life. <laughs> No. <laughs> and then so Norman was losing his mind. He kept yelling like, sit down. And she obviously does not listen. Yeah. So he stops the bus and gets out. And Don Letts, remember, he was managing them at the time. He had to chase after Norman and bribe him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. They get ba all back on the bus. And then Ari gets up again to dance in the aisle. And Norman's like, that's it. Yeah. He stops the bus again. <laughs> oh, I didn't survive the blitz for this. <laughs> <laughs> Don had to bribe him again. <sighs> and Norman gets on the bus again. But on one condition. The slits don't move from their seats until Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> that was the <laughs> So you know what they had to do? They ended up locking Ari in the bathroom of the bus. <laughs> and you know what? She didn't mind. She had Don's mixtapes to yeah, play. Great. So <laughs> Yeah, just love reggae. Yeah, just listen to reggae a lot. You know, at first I was like, Norman's an asshole. But then I'm like, poor Norman. But 
<laughs> yeah, I mean the the stories do to, to make it sound like no, oh Norman, the famously misogynistic Norman. It's like I think Norman was just highly bothered, yeah, like highly annoyed, uh, and you know. Didn't want to, or I didn't, like you said, I didn't survive the base feast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, of course there's a double standard, but yeah. at the same time, like, she is standing up in the aisles. It's whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Who well, cares? I, she was having fun. Yeah, she was having fun. And I'm not, I'm sure Captain Sensible was not all that much fun. I know he was. Captain Sensible punched a guy in the face on one of the tour buses. They used to get into fist fights on the <laughs> tour bus. So, yeah, there is, a, there is a double standard. Like, the ladies are definitely being held to a much higher standard than you know boys will be boys right and i mean that's what it is it's like it's cool to hang out with them but to babysit them is another thing like don Letts, he got a hotel bill once after a stay and it said okay cool food drinks one door what (laughs) yeah a door is missing oh all right gotta pay for a door now where's the door Nobody knows. <laughs> Which is why Don quit being their manager because he wanted to stay friends with them. <laughs> that was his, that's what he said. <laughs> Which I totally understand. I get that, yeah. man. I get that 100%. And at this time, Viv got back together with Mick Jones from The Clash because, well, I mean, they were on and off for a, quite a while. But she didn't want to stay with him. She wanted to stay with the Slits and the cheaper hotels, you know, for solidarity. And mm-hmm. she's her own person. Yeah. Plus, she was starting to get close to Rob Simmons from Subway Sex. Ah. Yeah. So Mick finds out about this. I mean, she's just kind of having like a, just like sort of an emotional affair kind of thing going on. She's not sleeping around or anything. But he finds out about this and he's really hurt. So one night he confronts her while she's hanging out with the Subway Sex band. But like in a hotel room, they're all just sitting there. And he comes in with his friend, Robin. Mm. Big, intimidating, tough guy, Robin, uh-huh. and beats up Rob. <laughs> that was one of the last times her and Mick broke up. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And that was right before the Rainbow Show. The Rainbow Show at The Clash was awesome. Yeah. I mean, like, the show was, like, chaotic. and It just it just sounded cool, the whole thing. Like, the crowd ripped up over 200 seats and dumped them in front of the stage so the audience could move around and pogo, because that was the thing. Yep, you got to yep. pogo. Yeah, that's the thing. Jumping, it's, it's jumping up and down. Yeah. In place. Yeah. <laughs> but like really cool like Yeah, you know? real cool, yeah. It was new back then. Yeah. And then but and then also the jam left the tour <laughs> after that rainbow show, but it was mostly about money. Yeah. It's always about money. They're always. like, "Why do we have to chip in on the payout for all these supporting bands? You guys invited like 100 people." <laughs> so, they left. It was fine. They didn't really quite click in with the other bands. The other bands were getting along great. Uh, but the only thing is, like, the tour did end up losing a lot of money. Yeah. It was not quite, it was not a success in that sense financially, but everyone had a really fun time. <laughs> they called it summer camp. <laughs> and then uh, the last day when all the bands are all packing out and getting ready to leave, Viv goes to Mick's hotel room to get her a guitar because that's where they stored all the equipment for, mm-hmm. you know, safekeeping. In the nicer hotel. Yeah, in the nice one, you know, all locked up in there. And so she, like, tiptoes to get in. She's like, oh, we just broke up the other day. This is awkward. And she finds him in bed with another girl. Yeah. And it's, hey. I, hey. I I understand. Hey, Mick's up well within his rights. Right. But she jumped on the bed angry anyways. <laughs> and she's screaming. It's like, what are you doing? And, and Mick picked up a water jug next to his bed. And like he threw it at Viv to get her off like the bed. And she ducked and it hits it. It smashed the mirror. One mirror. Okay. 
And then Viv just goes, pathetic. Pathetic. And uh. grabs her guitar <laughs> and leaves. <laughs> and even though this whole thing was so dramatic, especially with Palm Olive and Joe Strummer being exes and being a little awkward and kind of staying away from each other, mm-hmm. and Viv and Mick breaking up, the tour went down in history as the first proper punk tour ever. <laughs> <laughs> even though all that shit went down and also Joe got hepatitis. <laughs> Probably from the gobbing. <laughs> oh, just they're just a bunch of fucking kids. Man, <laughs> just a bunch of fucking guys, like college age kids. Jesus. That's this is the kind of stuff I would do on the holodeck. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't like, you know, sleep around. No. Now. No. Yeah, not but. now. No, not now. <laughs> but you know. Yeah. It, it looks like fun. Yeah. It looks like a fucking great. Yeah. The holodeck program White Riot Tour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> program 7429. Yeah. <laughs> so soon after the Slits got off tour with the Clash, reggae legend Bob Marley was in self imposed exile in London after an assassination attempt. I know I went from like zero to 60 oh, there. Yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> And Marley just happened to spend some time hanging out with punk scene mainstay Don Letts. Now, Bob Marley was a little skeptical about the sincerity of the British punk scene when it came to their love of his genre. But Don Letts was able to convince Marley that they, in fact, were sincere to the point where Marley wrote kind of a, like, it's a respect song for the scene called Punky Reggae Party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no born old farts. That's the only part I like of the song, really. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, as you heard, Bob Marley, like, he name-checked The Clash, The Damned, The Jam, and Dr. Feelgood, who, you know, more pop rock than punk, but hey, still there. But what isn't widely known is that in the demo version of that song, Marley also mentioned The Slits. He said, The Slits... And Dr. Feel Good, too. But well, what happened, Marcus? <laughs> but in the recorded version, in the single version, Bob Marley omitted the slits. And there is quite a bit of debate as to why Bob Marley did that. Yeah, because like everyone thinks it's because he found out they were women. Yeah. Because he doesn't have the best track record. Not the best track record with women. No. And there are certain strains of Rastafarianism that are very misogynistic. You know, a woman's place is in the home. A woman's place, does, a woman has no place in work. You know, it's things like that. You know, it can be very misogynistic. Yeah, I mean, it. it like when we talked about the MC5, when yeah. they had a, a commune and they had the women kind of service them. It just, yeah. I mean, it, it sprouts out everywhere. Yes, it absolutely. Like, that's the problem with, you know, certain revolutionary ideals is that. <laughs> Uh, it, it, 
so, a lot of times it tends to be like, oh, the women, oh, the servants for the men, the no. important ones. Oh, okay. like, <laughs> like, oh no, the men were the important ones here, so the women need to serve the men. That just fucking happens. So maybe maybe it's because of that, or maybe it's because he heard, oh, in, in England, the slits is a kind of an offensive word. Okay, maybe I'll take it out for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, see, I don't buy that because Punky Reggae Party was not on Exodus. It was, you know, it was recorded in, during the Exodus sessions, and Punky Reggae Party was mostly released as a single in Jamaica. So I don't think that it had anything to do with him saying, because he's like, he kind of mumbles like, this lit, the doctor, like he does. <laughs> <laughs> like it could be anything, you know? Uh, so I I think he took it out when he found out they were women. Maybe, maybe. I guess I just wanted to hope. Uh, <laughs> not not to say I'm a Bob Marley fan. I, I mean, I respect his work. It's it's okay to it, me. It, it, it's I outgrew it a long time ago. But I mean, it's it's. It's meant to be really respected. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me pull out of this fucking hole. Let me start I, over. Let me start over. I need over. to borrow a shovel. No, Bob Marley's fine. Like, he, he's fine. It's it's Bob Marley. Yeah. You know, it, it's... But I was just hoping. <laughs> I was just hoping for something better. But, yeah, it might just been because there were women and, you know, that sucks. Yeah, that sucks. That absolutely sucks. But either way, it was still a snub. Like, the slits were excited. We're going to be mentioned in the song. We're mentioned with everybody else. And it's Bob Marley, you know, because they're all big reggae fans and Bob Marley's the biggest fucking reggae dude around. So it's like, all right, hell yeah. And then the song comes out and, oh. Oh, <laughs> oh we're, we're not in there anymore, huh? Okay, <laughs> all right. But it was, a, it was a snub either way. But they still shook it off. And after shaking off the snub, the Slits headlined a show at the Vortex Club with the Prefects, a band called Dick Envy, <laughs> and another band called Tanya Hyde and the Tormentors, who just a couple of years ago released the recordings they did in 1977. And this is, to me, fascinating because, again, these are the bands that are playing with those other bands that we all know so well. These are the bands opening for them. saw them live you'd fucking love them yeah i mean it's catchy although the recording does make it sound like an old mcdonald's commercial <laughs> but but i but yeah you're right i would have loved it live yeah i mean and they were one of the many 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 bands like they they just released uh their uh that the songs they recorded back in 77 on this you know it's called bored teenagers series where it releases all these really old punk recordings that just never saw the light of day uh and i read like a little bit of their bio and they're like yeah we were talking to virgin and we were talking to all these other record companies and then it just stopped you know, and that's how it happened with so many of these bands. Like the talks just stopped, and who knows, if Tanya and the Tor Tanya Hyde and the Tormentors, if they would have gotten to like a real studio with a real producer, you know, like the Slits did, if things would have been a little different. But they did not, and instead, you got the Slits. Yes, we did, because that show, this Vortex, was super important because John Peel was going to go see them. 
Now, John Peel. I got it. <laughs> we haven't we haven't mentioned John Peel yet, but this guy is fucking hugely hugely important to the scene. Oh yeah. Very well-respected music DJ on BBC Radio 1 from 1967 until 2004. He is uh, a god among radio DJs. Yes, <laughs> highly revered because he would showcase great bands from like the underground music scene. Yeah. A lot of those bands weren't being played on the radio like the Damn Sessions that uh, we, we I wish we mentioned, but we didn't have any time for that. They're, those are amazing. Or some of them weren't even signed, like the Slits. Yeah. And the funny thing is, John Peel's bosses at BBC called up John Peel's producer, John Walters, so many Johns, <laughs> called up John Walters and said, hey, I've been reading the news about something called punk music. It says here it's uh, violent, <laughs> offensive, and a detriment to our society. You guys aren't playing any of that, right? And John Walters says, uh, yeah, actually, we've been playing tons of punk lately. <laughs> we've uh, actually been playing nothing but punk for a good six months well, now. For a while. Um, <laughs> well, good talk. Gotta run. Uh, phones won't stop ringing for some reason. Because <laughs> John Walters, he was very aware of the music scenes in London uh, or in towns near London. So he would go out and check out shows all over because John Peel couldn't go. He was just too famous. Yeah. And he got wind of the slits and brought John Peel to a slit show, like kind of snuck him in mm -hmm. at the Vortex. John Peel saw them and met them. He really liked them and the show. And he said, yeah, okay, technically they were all over the place. Yeah. But he wanted them to do a session anyway. Yeah. I, I mean, because he, because John Walters was like, you got to have the slits on. You got to get, get this band in. And, you know, John Peel's like, I have to see them first. And then once he saw them, he said, get them fucking in there. Well, he was more like, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to give it a little bit more like, oh, okay. get him in there. The kid stays in the picture. <laughs> I got it. So after John Peel confirmed that the slits were indeed solid, he brought them into the studio for a Peel session not six months after they played their first gig. And even though they were a little shaky, the results still sounded like nothing else at the time. <laughs> line has been stuck in my head for days i know i love that song <laughs> I, I love it oh that song's so good especially that version that peel session version the scream that ari up does is just sublime and i've just been walking around the house i've been trying to go to sleep at night and all i can think is just over and over again man that song's fucking catchy so september 19th 1977 the girls, they walk in, and immediately the studio engineers and producer do not like the slits. <laughs> you know, they're all. Personally always, or professionally? Uh, in every way. 
they're just like, don't do this. Don't don't touch that. That's not a toy. God. <laughs> and like they're like tearing their hair out because they couldn't stand how badly out of tune their guitars were. Yeah. So they had to constantly go and tune their guitars for them. And, you know, Viv's like, actually, I never learned. Um, <laughs> she did learn eventually. <laughs> and John Peel and John Walters, like they don't usually go in for the actual sessions, mm-hmm. but they came by just to see how it was going. And they were, quote, pissing themselves laughing at the engineers dealing with the girls during the recording. (laughs) John Peel said, if he had to make a top 10 best sessions of all time, two sessions of theirs would be on that list. Yeah. It was mesmerizing. But one of the engineers said, yeah, it's a classic if you're into shit. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Because they did record, they did have three sessions. You yeah. know, uh, they did another one in 1978 and then a third one in 1981, which is wildly different, but it's still incredible. It's still good. Yeah, it's so fucking good. Yeah, because the, the Peel sessions, they were all pre-recorded, right? Yeah. Like they would, yes. Yeah, they, they were pre-recorded and then John Peel would play them on the show. Like And like Peel sessions are like, I mean, it's arguable that like the best things that Joy Division ever did were the fucking Peel sessions. You know, like the, these these were extremely important to like the history of British music and just in general. Peel sessions, like, it's Peel sessions. Yeah. Peel sessions. You can find a lot of them on YouTube. <laughs> so many of them. Yeah. And a lot of them are in like deluxe editions of albums and the Peel sessions for the Slits are in the deluxe edition of their debut album. So go and fucking check out those entire. They're so fucking good. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10 piece Wick Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast paced world, Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. So at the beginning of 1978, after the Peel Sessions, the Slits came under the temporary management of the man who seemed to manage fucking every British punk band at one time or another in their history. Of course, Malcolm McLaren. (laughs) Famously, the manager of the Sex Pistols. He's everywhere. Everywhere. Oh, God. What did he do all day? (laughs) Thought he had a fucking clothing shop to run. Yeah, I know. Well, Malcolm wanted to make the slits the female sex pistols. Yeah, which ba- is the wrong move. Basically exploit them. Yeah. Yeah, like not to say Malcolm didn't have an eye for talent and styling or anything like that, but he just wasn't on the same wavelength as the slits. And rumor has it he actually tried to sign them to like the German label Hansa uh-huh. and make them into like a subversive disco vocal group. Which, adds a good idea. Not for the slits. <laughs> I mean, there's some cool subversive disco stuff out there, like Warm Leatherette's fucking awesome. But he wanted to, like, take over them. Like, you know how you yeah. always be so bossy and micromanaging and, like, what they wear and how they look and what they say? I mean, no one could tell these girls what to do. At all. Yeah, that it was just not going to happen. Sometimes to their detriment. Yes. <laughs> but uh, he did come up with some, I mean, a lot of agents do this. He came come up with some wild ideas, like, you know what you should really be doing? Uh <laughs> 
He wanted to make a movie starring the slits where they're a girl group who go to Mexico, get sold into slavery, and turn into porno disco stars. <laughs> so the girls decided not to go with that. Yeah. And Palmolive even said, like, at the meeting, he told her, I want to work with women because I hate women and I hate music and I thrive on hate. Ugh. Wow, you must a- be real fun at parties. <laughs> what a pretentious jackass. <laughs> <laughs> he is part of the Sif order. <laughs> I kn- I just know it. Well, Malcolm McLaren lasted two weeks. Yeah. Like there was a lot. Like I mean, was... it was just a few meetings. Yeah, was... I don't really think he did anything too much. I mean, he did a few things. He did a few things. I mean, he used his connections to get the slits a live recording at the Gibbous Club. Uh, maybe it's Gibbous, 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 Gibbous. I don't know. We should use all of them so we don't get shit. <laughs> Um, actually, it's the Goobus Club. (laughs) (laughs) But since nobody was able to pay the producer for that live recording, the producer kept the tapes and the album went unreleased for 25 years, which is a shame because the album is fucking great. Let's listen to a track. Love and Romance. I love that song. Yeah. Love that song. Love that album. It's fucking solid. Yeah. Especially if, you know, it's. I mean, maybe you have to be like a Slits fan to like really love it, but I think it's a great artifact in that time period in history. But at a time when the Slits were on an upswing, Tessa, the bass player, was falling prey to the same addiction that destroyed the lives of a lot of punks in the scene. She started to do heroin. Yeah, well... She was definitely dipping her toe in heroin at that at this time. Yeah. Because, you know, she was... Dabbling. Def- dabbling. Da- dabbling, yes. <laughs> because she was hanging out with new questionable friends. Yeah. And a lot of scenes, uh, definitely, you know, the punk scene or even, like, the, the reggae scene, too, sometimes. And, you know, there will be times when... There's going to be drugs around. Yeah, hard drugs. Plus, she was she was also having, like, a tough time dealing with, like, life growing up. And her dad died while they were on tour. Like, it was yeah. very hard for her. She was still functioning fairly normal, so it took a while for the rest of the band to catch wind of what really was going on, unfortunately. I mean, all they knew about her was like, wow, she could really sleep really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wakes her up for a while. Yeah, I I mean, they just didn't know, you know, and heroin's like, it was a new thing. Like, it was a very new thing on the scene back then, you know, no one really knew how serious it could be, you know, and because it's also it's just like with cocaine, like cocaine was around for decades before people are like, oh, this is a problem. <laughs> this is like we need to, this is a real Bowie's nasal cavities have collapsed. <laughs> like we, <laughs> we need I'm to sorry, keep an eye on. report here. <laughs> no, report, no, the- baby. baby uh, David Bowie's nasal cavities have collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> BBC World Service. <laughs> But as much of a problem as heroin addiction was in the scene, the Slits managed to at least get like a couple of good songs out of it. And both of these songs 
including this one we're about to play right here, were recorded in their second Peel session. music in that in Ari Up's vocals on that. Who best? Who best? That song's about Keith Levine. Yeah, Keith Levine of the Clash. Yeah, he was addicted to heroin at that time, and uh, the song actually features Keith's av- actual voice from a taped call to Viv. At, so at the end of the song, he goes, "Thanks a lot." <laughs> it's a little little trivia. There. That's nice. That's nice trivia. And even though the Slits were doing well compared to most of the punk bands at the time, who, as I said, were either fizzling out or self-destructing, drummer Paloma Romero, a.k.a. Palmolive, was kind of losing interest in the Slits. So, in the summer of 1978, Ari and Viv decided that it was time for Palmolive to explore other options in the punk rock scene. After two years of collaboration, and after Paloma essentially started the band. It was her idea. Yeah, it was her idea in the first place. The thing is, she was always late to rehearsals, if she showed up at all. And Viv, she says in her book that she was really sick with a cough, so she was hospitalized for a few weeks, and she called a band meeting, and Palmolive didn't show up again. And she told Ari and Tessa, listen, if you want to keep going, we got to take this serious. So it's either me or Palm Olive. Ah. And so they agreed. And uh, Tessa had to tell her because they were roommates. Ah. He broke the news to her. Ah. And, well, I mean, Palm Olive took it well. Yeah. You know, I mean, she was obviously very disappointed about it. She felt rejected like you would, like, you know, anyone would. Yeah. But they needed a better drummer. And Palm Olive was great, but her style was just way too wild. Hey, Palmolive is a, I mean, she is not what you would call a tight drummer. No. Yeah, you know, she's got a style, definitely got a style, but it's, uh, it's very, it's very loose. It's not what you'd call technically, uh, proficient, you know, at all. Like they, in the, and the slits wanted to be tight. Like they wanted to be a, as tight as they possibly fucking could be. And they just couldn't do it with her. And also Palmolive was just, she was losing interest. Yeah. She wasn't yeah. showing up. Yeah. She's not showing up. Yeah. But the cool thing about Paloma leaving is that she ended up replacing her brother-in-law in in another one of the best all-female post-punk groups of the time. (laughs) Paloma was also the drummer for the Raincoats. Yes!
Yeah. I want, we should go toward the Gina Birch statue at Olympia, Washington. <laughs> I made that up, but they should make one. <laughs> should, if, they were, if there was one anywhere in the world, it'd, it'd be, be Olympia. <laughs> <laughs> so Gina Birch and Anna De Silva, they formed the Raincoats after watching the Slits play their first show. Yeah. They were like, we don't know how to play either, but it's DIY, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. And they, they even recorded their debut album with Palmolive, and that album is so Good. It's a classic. Yes. And Kurt Cobain was a big fan of theirs later on when he discovered them. And yeah. it's been said that Geffen with Rough Trade Records reissued the Raincoats' early albums in 1993 because of him. <laughs> I mean, that's not a surprise R- rumors at say. all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might have been just like, like you should re-release some of the Raincoats records. <laughs> like that. Please. <laughs> <laughs> and he would say, like, rather than listening to them, I feel like I'm listening in on them yeah which sounds super cool but really pretentious if you're not Kurt Cobain <laughs> like if you were our you know our friend of a friend celebrated music snob Nick <laughs> you wouldn't get him no you wouldn't get him um, well the thing is about the raincoats is that it's uh, you're not so much listening to them you're more listening in on them uh, here let me fansplain it to you <laughs> That's Trace Bellews. It's not mine. Yeah, yes, fansplaining is wonderful, and I would say that uh, movies and music are definitely the two biggest uh, perpetrators of that. <laughs> uh, the thing about the raincoats is that if, if you're, I mean, if you want to listen to them like that, you can. But I prefer to listen to my CD of the raincoats <laughs> because I think that uh, vinyl has become somewhat pretentious. Wow, did you drug me? <laughs> because I'm falling asleep. <laughs> So after Paloma was kicked out of the slits, she was replaced by Peter Budgie Clark, the first boy slit, as they called it. Budgie had just left a Liverpool group named Big in Japan, who was so hated, petitions were circulated by a young Julian Cope urging them to break up. What? But, I mean, Cope also copped to the fact that he started this petition out of jealousy. Because Big in Japan were fucking great, at least for what little time they lasted. by Big in Japan uh, <laughs> off of the EP Brutality, Religion, and a Dance Beat. Wow. Cool name. Funny thing about that petition, though, is that out of the nine people who signed it, five of those signatures were from band members themselves. <laughs> <laughs> but while Big in Japan was short-lived, members went on to be in massive bands like the KLF, Lightning Seeds. Both of those were much bigger in the UK, but the worldwide band that was famous. Yes. Frankie Goes to Hollywood. <laughs> I'll defend this song. Relax, don't you when you wanna go to when you wanna come 
Or do you have to only work out in this song? <laughs> I'm just yeah. asking. Frankie says relax. Come okay, on. all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Budgie, he he met the Slits even before that when he was in the Spitfire Boys with Paul Rutherford. Mm-hmm. They all became good friends and supported each other. So it only made sense to have Budgie who already knew what they were about. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Yeah. And they loved Budgie because he worked hard. He had discipline. But he was also like creative and, you know, he could be experimental. Yeah. But consistent, which helped bring their sound together. And it also helped that the Slits would fight a lot less because he brought in a better energy <laughs> because all they would do is fight all the time. Yeah. Before shows, during shows, and after shows. Yeah, they were pretty famous for their onstage fights. Onstage <laughs> fights that rivaled the Ramones. Yeah. I don't want to play. I don't want to go down to the basement. I play knockout. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> Yeah, they were uh, punk groups were uh, sometimes pretty volatile uh, <laughs> when it came to on stage performances. But now that the Slits had the tightness they were looking for when it came to drumming, they celebrated the beginning of 1979 by signing to an eclectic Jamaica-based record label called Island Records, who had been releasing some of the best reggae of the previous 20 years. <laughs> Petition here and now to make reggae the genre of the summer. Yes. <laughs> Where do I sign? It's perfect. I mean, it's just so fucking perfect. Uh, God, I love this reggae. Like Jimmy Cliff. Oh, God, it's so fucking good. Oh, man, it's so good. <laughs> <laughs> but in addition to artists like the just played Jimmy Cliff, the Meters, and others like Toots and the Maytals, Island was also releasing weird shit in the rock realm like King Crimson, Sparks, and my second favorite album in the world, Here Come the Warm Jets. Here 
Oh man, yeah. That that's if if you never heard, uh, here come the warm jets. Uh, hidden gem of the seventies. It's it's uh, it, it is a fantastic record. What's Frontwards it about? and backwards. Uh, warm jets. Okay. And here cool. and them coming. Oh, here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the baby's on fire. The title track. Uh, you know, on some faraway beach. It's a um, phenomenal record in every way. But that, Matt, you know, you got reggae, you got Roxy music, you got Sparks, you know, you got all of these different kinds of artists on Island Together. Meant this is the perfect label for the Slits. And after signing, the label brought in dub maestro Dennis Blackbeard Bovel as producer. Maybe it's Bevel, Bovel. Uh, probably Bevel, right? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and Bevel had previously been in a reggae band called Matumbi. It was a new discovery for me. They're fucking great. Yeah, that's fucking. I love that. That song's so fucking catchy. It's very yeah. I'm definitely gonna be listening to more Matumbi this summer. Yeah, you know what? We should. We should. We should sit out and you know in our fire escape and and make some uh, mai tais. I don't know what's in one, <laughs> and uh, and just like play some reggae out in the streets. Yeah, I, I think reggae should be. It really like it's so. It's not only uh, fucking great and it makes you feel good, but it's highly relevant. Like, especially the reggae of the 60s and 70s. Like, that shit is highly relevant to what's going on right now. So, yeah, I petition everyone listen to more reggae. All right. All right. We're going to flood the streets. (laughs) Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell. Starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack Store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.
Dennis, he came from Barbados to England, and he became a really important part of the 70s London reggae scene. I mean, he played in Matumbi, like you said, and released some solo dub records as Blackbeard. Hell yeah. That's such a cool name. That's the coolest reggae name. (laughs) Plus, he had a good sense of humor and got along great with the slits, which is, oh, thank God, (laughs) that he was so patient with them. And he actually thought they were kind of funny, because sometimes they could be very annoying. Yeah, of course. I I mean, that's what the... Slits needed more than anything in the studio with uh, as far as the producer went they needed a patient producer who was going to like really sit with them and like focus on the music yeah. you know and be able to put all that other shit aside like the music's great the music's fantastic they've got some great ideas let me bring all those ideas out to the fucking open and for the recording of this album, the Slits retreated to what would become one of the most famous studios in England, where everyone from Queen to Ozzy to the Smiths would all record phenomenal records. The Slits recorded their debut album, Cut, at Ridge Farm. Yeah, Ridge Farm. It used to be a medieval farmhouse. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, with a barn that was converted into a recording studio. So in March 1979, they all went in there and they loved being out in the country. Like they loved living together, eating together, recording together, except for Ari's dreadlocks because they were infested with bugs. (laughs) It is the English countryside. She got lice like immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Just always. She just had to live with them. Yeah. Yes. She just had to. Yeah. Because she's not cutting her fucking dreadlocks. No. So Dennis also lived with them, and he was kind of like the father figure that they kind of needed at that time. You know, he was telling them when bedtime was. <laughs> and honestly, they, they were like his children in a way, because they'd be like, I don't want to go to bed. <laughs> and he's like, I tell you, girl, you'll be tired and pissy in the morning. You're going to bed now. <laughs> Fine. Fine. <laughs> and Ari would even say, you're not my dad. <laughs> Oh, you go to bed when I tell you to go to bed. Because yeah, Ari's 17 at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever, dad, stepdad. I'm not going to fucking go to bed. <laughs> so in the studio, Dennis was just as strict because he was like a master perfectionist, but helpful and patient with the girls. Yeah. Especially since the girls had a hard time getting the timing right. It was, I mean, just with Paul Mollive gone, they still were like, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, it's tough, you know? Like, I think I went into the studio for the very first time after playing in bands for, like, maybe a a year or two. But, yeah, so I understand, like, how fucking intimidating it would be. And they're going out, like, they've got Island Records on their back. They are going to this famous fancy-ass studio that Queen had just recorded Bohemian Rhapsody in. Like, it's intimidating. But Dennis Blavelle was there. He was patient. He worked with him and he got one hell of a performance out of him. Yes. I mean, he was adamant about making sure that they got it perfect because, I mean, he had a reputation too. Yeah. And each girl would go in and they would play their instruments and if they were off by even a fraction of a second, do it again. Do it again. But just the tiniest bit. Nope. Again. And again. And again. The slits, they worked really hard. You know, no fighting this time. No egos. Just let's get this done right. Hell yeah. And, you know, the big rumor about the recording, and it still persists to this fucking day, is that Dennis Bavel played all of the instruments on the record. That what? the Yeah. That, that's insane. <laughs> yeah, that's, Why would he do that? I know. Well, that's the rumor, is that he did not work with them the way that uh, they ended up saying, is that he actually just sat down and said, fuck it, I'll do it myself, and played the drums, played the guitar, and played the bass, and did it all 
for them. But both Bavel and the Slits could not deny that more. They say that's fucking stupid. And in yeah. fact, Bavel said that on one song, he sat in and played something on guitar that he thought was, you know, in his words, very close to brilliant. But Viv Albertine said, strike it, because no one's going to believe I played that. Like, that's too good. Yeah. <laughs> and it goes into trash and he starts crying. <laughs> but that was the best thing I've ever heard. Doesn't matter. Use Doesn't it on matter. a different song. Use it's it on gone. a different song. I don't, it's, a, it's not going to be on our record. You know? And so they absolutely played everything. But he did have a hand in one song. Yes. But helping out with the percussion of Newtown. You see, they arranged the song completely different from the way they were playing it live, which sounded great. But after listening back in the mixing room, they realized it needed something like a little something extra and Dennis start looking around he's searching for the studio for something anything and he comes up with a box of matches a spoon and a cup like like a glass cup <laughs> yeah he presses record he takes the matches and just shakes it once and then he takes a spoon and he taps the glass cup and he drops a spoon into the glass then repeat until the end of the song it was perfect it's fucking great let's listen to it <laughs> full of instruments and he grabs <laughs> something from like the you know the the miscellaneous drawer yeah. it's cool <laughs> yeah it's really it, it just and i never knew what that sound was until you said it was a box of matches and now i listen to it's like oh of course that's a fucking of box course. of matches i feel like an <laughs> asshole like, and then he strikes a match every once in a while like, like oh, it, so. yeah it's great now one of bavel's biggest contributions to the records besides the reggae influence was as you said, his insistence that the slits play everything in time and in tune, which isn't always the case with early punk records. It, you know, you listen to those early Damned uh, records. Yeah. Dave Vanian's singing out of tune a lot. A lot. <laughs> it's still great, but yeah, he's singing out of tune a still lot. capturing the experience, though, so that's, it's still good. It's still good. But Bavel's influence both on the slit style and on their abilities resulted in one of the most original, strange, and influential records of the time. Furthermore, when you listen to what ended up on the album versus what we heard earlier on the Peel sessions, you can really see the evolution of this band. Like, nothing sounds on the record like it did before. Like, remember Shoplifting that we listened to earlier? The, with the fucking sweet-ass bass line? Yeah. Let's listen to the album version. Put the 
didn't always sing in tune either but she sounds great she sounds fantastic and in the last scream at the very end she you could hear her she goes i pissed in my knickers <laughs> <laughs> she wet herself let's, she was so excited let's hear it <laughs> you heard it now keep it keep it on the album yeah keep it stays. on the album <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean it's pretty clear what that song's about it's called shoplifting it's about shoplifting it's about shoplifting it's very 1979 punk you know yeah. other songs however approached the old trope of the breakup song and gave it an edge of realness that was very rarely seen at this time for example, let's listen to Viv Albertine's song about her relationship with Mick Jones called Ping Pong Affair. I knew you were sitting in your room all alone. I knew I was the only girl for you. You have told me so. But somehow it my mind was fight all the time <laughs> I mean like you and I don't fight like that but I mean we still have that one fight we can never stop yeah Baby's Day Out is not a movie <laughs> alright it is not a movie it's of course of course it's Baby's, Day, about, no, baby's Day Out is a movie it is a movie about a Baby's Day Out it's all in the title it's no. a, the, the plot is in the title there is no plot that's the thing <laughs> but There's the plot a... the plot is that the baby is going out for the day but, but it's a baby <laughs> How is that? It's, Jesus Christ. It's a, I know it's a baby. A baby can be as much of a protagonist as anyone else. <laughs> Fine. I'm going to make my own fucking movie, okay? I'm going to call it, a, I don't know. Okay, Carolina's Night In. <laughs> we'll get to work on that as soon as this season's over. Oh, God. Okay. Well. <laughs> Anyway, so couples fight. <laughs> yeah, couples fight. And it was very honest. You know, like, it's a, if you can understand the lyrics, or just just go look up the lyrics online uh, and read the lyrics. Like, the lyrics are very, very honest. Yeah. But Mick Jones actually wrote a response 
to Ping Pong Affair for The Clash's third album, London Calling. It was a last-minute edition. It's not even on the first, you can tell. It's one of the, the first edition of London Calling. Uh, you can tell because this song isn't even on the track listing. Like, it was recorded and decided to be put on the album while the album cover was being printed. But it still ended up being one of The Clash's most enduring songs. And this one is his response. <laughs> song always makes me think of Joe's Crab Shack. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a waiter at Joe's Crab Shack, you know, you have to, when you work in those chain restaurants, you have to listen to the shitty corporate radio station that gets piped in. And that was the only song that was on the radio that I liked. So anytime Train in Vain came on, I was like, hey, oh, I get to be happy for three and a half minutes. (laughs) This is great. I don't have to listen to YMCA again. Perfect. (laughs) I like Suicide. The slits also took from the news stories of the day for inspiration, although what they took was decidedly less gruesome than the murder-suicide Alan Vega wrote about in Frankie Teardrop. (laughs) Instead, the slits wrote about a tabloid star named Vivian Nicholson, who, when asked in 1961 what she would do with the 150,000 pounds her husband had just won gamble on football, famously said, spend, spend, spend. She did. She really did. (laughs) She got she did. Yeah, yeah. You, you look it up on Wikipedia. Oh my God! <laughs> and this, they weren't the only British band who were interested in Vivian Nicholson. Morrissey was fucking obsessed with Vivian Nicholson. What's he not obsessed with? Every week he's obsessed <laughs> with something new. I mean, I, I really like his music, though. Of course you do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah. <laughs> Wait, is Nick in the room? Is Nick? Nick? Of course you would. You're an emo girl, aren't you? What were you doing in 1999? <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. Hot <laughs> yeah. I mean, Morrissey, he used a line from Vivian Nicholson's biography for the lyrics in uh, Still Ill uh, off of the Smiths' first record. And he featured Vivian's picture on the cover of the Smiths' single, Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now. <laughs> Wanted a job and then I got a job. <laughs> was happy in the haze of a drunken hour But heaven knows I'm miserable now I was looking for a job and then I found a job And heaven knows I'm miserable now In my life Why do I give valuable time To people who don't care if I Separate the art from the artist. And I love the art. <laughs> I do. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, the Smiths, that, that was, you know, the Smiths are one of our bands. You yeah. Know? Yeah, like way back when we first started dating. That was, oh, oh the okay. Smiths we... the yeah, yeah. Me and you. Okay, got yeah. it. <laughs> and that right there, that's where we will end today's episode. Uh, next week, we're going to get to uh, the album cover for Cup. We're yeah. going to get into, you know, the eventual downward slide uh, of the slits because, you know, a lot happens after. Uh, the recording of cut uh, and you know and we'll also get into uh, the legacy of the slits yeah definitely because that was another thing we were just going to do two parts and like be like let's just talk about the slits and then we realized no they're, st- they're just responsible for so much they really are and we really should talk about the music that came later because of the slits because of the raincoats because of Susie Sue and the Banshees I mean they're great, but the bands I grew up with much later in the next generation, <laughs> I'm listening to these songs and I'm like, holy shit, that's Slater Kinney. Yeah. Holy shit, that's Lily Allen. You know, that's really cool. And so we really should talk about it more. And we will. Cool. Yay. Ne- oh, wait, next week, right? <laughs> Fuck, I thought it was now. Next week. Okay, no, all right. Ne- next okay. week. All right. Un- yeah, next week. All right. But hey, we can do a band. We can do a No Dogs yeah, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're we're back to we we found another uh, another band. Actually, well, this one this is just one guy again. It's called Dance Floor Detonator. Uh, it's a post rock that this dude does by himself uh, in his fucking bedroom. Uh, and I want to encourage this guy because he's only put out two songs so far. He says he's thinking about doing an album. Chris. Make the album. Please. You're fucking great. Yeah. Like, like this is, it's really good stuff. Uh, and, of course, it is uh, available uh, on Spotify, Dance Floor Detonator. Uh, so uh, let's check it out. And, of course, if you have a, a band or a musical project, if you're just making weird shit in your room alone. No uh, dogs in space at gmail.com. Email us there. Please email us there. That, that way we have it all in one place. And then we can listen to it on our off time. And, man, there's just a lot of really great bands. So, yeah, we keep it coming. Right now, we have well over 400 unread emails, and we've already gone through quite a few. So it's <laughs> I went through, like, a few dozen, like, yesterday. Yeah. What I, happened? <laughs> I mean, we're, you know, we're trying to give everyone a, a, a fair shake. Yeah, and, You know, yeah. listening to everyone's albums and That's all that. That's true. Like, I don't want to just listen to, like, 10 seconds or just one song. I actually want to listen to a couple songs because, you know, I want to have fun listening to music, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we also want to keep that part of our lives alive (laughs) Uh, thank you very much for listening everybody and we shall uh, talk to y'all next week 
Goodbye. Goodbye. Here's Dance Floor Detonator. The song is The Report from Iron Mountain. Check it out. It's cool as shit.
Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? The legends are true. Overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.